0: Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Happy Wednesday, listeners. I hope you have a delicious Earl Grey with you, mates. This time, though, I'm drinking some black tea inspired by Melbourne, an eastern state city in Australia. The tea is called Melbourne Breakfast. Let me share the description. When the winds start howling, this brew will see you through. Indulge a little with this full-body vanilla sweet tea, bound to keep you cozy all year round. Sip it up, Melbourne style. And they're not lying. When I was down in Melbourne a couple of years back, (laughs) three sets of weather in the same hour, sunny, windy, rainy, all experienced in super short time frames. It was bonkers. A lovely place with great food, but the weather can get a bit annoying sometimes. Anyway, listeners, today I've brought you something different, a slow burner story called Laser Tag. This one is a slightly bigger tale than most, but I'm sure you'll love it. So turn the lights off, the sound up, and let's listen to a unique tale by the author Digi Gecko. Enjoy. My therapist asked me to start writing a journal, or maybe a recollection of past events, whatever I thought was best. A few years ago, I would have thought that writing down my feelings and thoughts was pointless, as would be seeing a therapist in the first place. I thought I'd got a handle on things on my own, you know? Doing the macho act of not asking for outside help? I guess things changed. When I saw an old friend a month ago. And every explanation and excuse I'd come up with. And made into my personal reality was thrown out the window. There was a sense of vindication after I left that friend's house. But with it came a dreaded truth. I've never told this story to anyone outside of my childhood friends. And through my accounts to the local police. Who had me repeat it over and over. But only one of us was actually there when it happened. The only one who really saw it. I've never liked talking about myself. But Dr. Strauss said that doing so would be cathartic. A release that I needed to have for any chance at further progression. Before I started my sessions, I would have never bothered. It was only recently that I put things together and accepted the facts of that day. It was 15 years ago, the late summer of 1998. I had just graduated middle school and was glad to be getting out of that hellhole, as were a few of my other friends. We didn't all go to the same school or were in the same grade, but we all lived in the same neighborhood. It was a nice enough place, not far from the waters, ports, and harbors in Pensacola, Florida a city tucked in the northwest of the state, right by the Alabama and Georgia borders. As you might imagine, summer was hot and muggy, and the town didn't have too many attractions for kids, so we spent a lot of our time playing video games or going outside to look for something to do, often inventing sports or stupid, brutish games. We were a group of six boys when we all got together Our parents all knew each other, for the most part, and despite a few rivalries and some fights amongst us over the years, we got along pretty well, all growing up within a mile of one another. I don't want to say too much about them, because we've all broken apart over the years, and I don't know where we've all ended up, or how we've dealt with what happened. The last thing I'd want to do is have this story somehow go public and get big or something, And then some reporter goes out tracking us down, and opening up old wounds that some of us might have healed by now. Anyway, here are the first names and some overly generalized descriptions of their personalities. Just please, remember that these were actual people, not cartoon characters. When whatever douchebag gets a hold of this journal and decides to make a TV movie out of it, I guess I've become a little paranoid over the years. First, there's me, Justin. You'll find out enough about me through this story, so I won't bother sharing anything about myself here. Brian was our group's only black kid, and he was always fairly mellow. Just kind of followed us around wherever, with few hesitations. I didn't know his parents well, but they must have raised him something proper. The few times we went out to be little teenage bastards, he would always only watch us, never knocking over garbage cans or vandalizing or anything. Not that any of that was ever my idea. No. Those boredom-killing brain farts were strictly externalized from Devon. He looked like a bully, but he was never actually mean to anyone, as bossy as he could be. He was the biggest of the group, but not terribly overweight, I think he must have had ADHD growing up, and he was always getting into trouble, often dragging us right down with him. Gilbert, I swear to God that was his name, and yes, he caught a lot of flack for it, was the nerdy one. The only kid with glasses. He was damn smart, but overly technical for his age. It's a miracle he never got socked by any of us after he finished listening to one of our conversations and then interjected some facts with an intake of mucus followed by Ray's index finger annoyingly, actually, but again, he was smart. And creative. And could make up some good jokes on the fly because of it. Then we have the fraternal twins, Peter and Nick. Not terribly interesting names, but at least their parents decided to not be asshats and give them something cute and stupid like Bobby and Robbie. They looked only a little alike, and Peter was always about an inch taller than his brother. They both had dirty blonde hair and matching blue eyes, but that was where the similarities ended. Peter was energetic and into sports, and was a bit of a loudmouth. Nick was pretty quiet, and he never seemed to be very good at anything we tried, other than video games. He could kick our collective asses in most any genre. I was always a casual gamer preferring to spend my time outside and only rent games from the nearby video library. All gone now. But I did have several systems. The one among us subscribed to several gaming magazines. Nick was typically the kid to introduce us to the latest hot title. From the day it came out, and we all went to the twins' house to play it, we had all been addicted for the past year to GoldenEye for the Nintendo 64. It was real hot shit back then. The talk of the class's guys, whenever the topic of video games came up. Playing it automatically made you cool. The game led to many late night sleepovers, sometimes lasting until the first morning light in the summer. We played other things, of course, mostly Mortal Kombat and Mario Kart, but the epic James Bond shooter was the crown jewel. Four player games were awesome. 10 minutes of shooting each other in the face and being blown up with mines and rocket launchers, the two lowest scoring players would trade with the two spectators of the previous game and those watching for a round would usually go scrounge for soda and snacks. They were good times for us and sharing the game together put a few inventive thoughts into my mind for a new game of our own. We still had to do something during the daylight hours that we would rather spend outside. After I threw out the idea of a real-life first-person shooter, we quickly came up with the idea of a game simply called Guns. The name really showed how creative we could be. It started as an advanced game of hide-and-seek. After a few free-for-all rounds, we found splitting the two or sometimes even three teams was more fun. This sounds kind of lame, I know but the game's origins had us running and hiding and setting up ambushes along the three main blocks of the neighborhood. The goal was to sneak up on someone, point your hand out in the shape of a gun, and yell, BANG! Bang. before the other guy could react. Then he was dead, and had to go wait in the KIA zone. Sometimes though, we captured them instead and had him turn on his team. Going indoors was against the rules, as was going on to anyone else's property other than our own yards. Still, the neighborhood provided a fun landscape. Cars, fences, trees, and bushes all became barricades. Sometimes we'd even climb into the branches to hide, waiting for our prey to get close, since you could contest a distant hit as a miss. The closer you could fire, the more likely the other kid is to admit their death, And hiding was as important as sneaking around. The back of Brian's dad's pickup truck was a particularly good place to hide. Many lives were claimed in his driveway. To keep things fresh, the game evolved quickly. Walkie-talkies were soon used to let teams separate and keep in communication with one another. We made up more pretend weapons than just hand pistols like the long range arm rifle and invisible rapid-fire machine gun. But it was dawning on us how ridiculous it was starting to look. Especially to the passerby jogger or dog walker, the civilians we shared the neighborhood with. So we started trying other guns, but nothing worked quite as well as our simple phantom weapons. Water guns were nice on hot days, and we once tried out water balloons as grenades. If a splash hit you, you were dead. But the range was of course poor. And if you forgot to pump it, you'd just end up with a sad little trickle of water that couldn't reach your target, after which they'd spray you back amid a laugh or two. It was kind of cool finding sources of water around the blocks for refills, though. Ammo caches. The one time we tried nerf guns ended up in resounding failure. Not only was their range also poor but we also lost half the darts we fired. Like water guns, these were toys meant for running around like an idiot in the backyard. That wasn't what we wanted. We liked the thrill of the hunt, the team play, the ambushes, the double crosses, the crushing defeat, the strategy. We had to perfect our game somehow, with something better. I should mention that Nick and I took the whole thing a little more seriously than the others. If having Gilbert on your team gave you a strategist, Devon provided you with a fearless berserker, Brian a patient soldier who could hide for long periods of time, and Peter, your jack-of-trades grunt, then Nick and I, who were average at best, wanted a different role. We were the game masters. We set the rules and began to map out entire levels within the neighborhood complete with boundaries. We even hid little flags around that if held gave you power-ups like a second life or 10 seconds of invincibility once you held it up and declared it, letting someone slip past enemy fire unharmed. Guns filled up much of our summer it was like we were programmers and beta testers to a virtual reality game, but it still lacked a solid set of armaments. We didn't need to get too technical or introduce things like having to reload, but we did want something that had a long, precise range that would not only bring out our true individual skills, but also get rid of the time-wasting NU-UH, YOU DIDN'T HIT ME, arguments resulting from fired invisible BANG bullets. On my birthday, we made a reservation for the Fun Center, where I sometimes played mini-golf with my parents. It was a pretty cool place with arcade machines, prizes, and even a go-kart track. I think a lot of kids have grown up near and frequented similar venues. Last time I was there, I realized that they had a laser tag arena. That was something we had to try. I had also investigated paintball by this point, but... I figured that we were a bit young for it, and I didn't like the idea of having only some boring backwards to play in or strapping on all that gear. I also feared the pain that would come from being hit, though I'm sure my stupid childish fear was exaggerated, of course. On top of that, you had to pay to play. We liked our freedom to play for however long we wanted in our neighborhood, as crappy as our gear was. But I figured laser tag was worth a try, and it wasn't that costly. I walked out of a 15 minute session disappointed. It wasn't terrible by any means, but I expected much more. The indoor arena was made up of crappy plywood forts and was lit with black lights and glowing star stickers. The obnoxiously loud techno music really removed the element of strategy, since we couldn't even hear ourselves talk much less listen to our enemy's footsteps in the small arena. Still, it did introduce me to laser guns. The few times anyone managed to score a hit, the vest lit up and buzzed loudly. The guns even made realistic sounds and felt, well, real in our young teenage hands. We may have spent most of our time in the chamber running around like idiots trying to learn how to play, but my heart was still pumping throughout the game. What was the most awesome was just how accurate the things were, and the very idea of shooting an invisible light at a target across the room and hitting them instantly and assuredly. This was just mind-blowingly cool for us. Now would be a good time to emphasize that none of us were gun nuts. I don't think any of our parents even owned any, And out of the six of us, only Gilbert, somewhat ironically, I guess you could call it, joined the military. Though I don't think it was in a position where he actually had to hold a weapon. It was just a phase for us. Another cool thing that would have run its course eventually. However, long guns might have fulfilled our needs. We knew it was always going to be fun while it lasted. I was an only kid. The other five all had at least one sibling and that meant that I relied on my friends for human contact and my parents spoiled me. Dad especially. I wasn't some needy little tool who had to have the newest thing and a lot of it. I could restrain myself, but it always seemed that when the time came that I did ask for something, my dad would give it to me in spades like no expense was too great, and he was always eager to please. I wanted my own set of laser guns to surprise the guys with, so one Friday night we headed out to Target to see what we could find. It took some looking in their big old toy section since I wasn't sure what aisle the guns would be in, but sure enough, they had what I was looking for in stock. On the shelves on the back wall past the aisle with micro-machines, I miss those things, as I used to collect them, was a brightly colored box with some stupid happy boys on it, one of them holding a comically oversized gun, the other smiling idiotically as he was shot in the back. I was already sold. The toys were called Laser Challenge and were expensive, maybe $40 each. But Dad was happy that I was so earnestly excited about the things I didn't even know they existed before we went looking, figuring that laser tag guns might have been restricted to places like the fun center. He bought four sets, each of us carrying two boxes up to the checkout. The problem was that they had only four in stock. Four groups of guns, vests, and backpacks total. He knew as well as I did that I needed two more sets if all six of us would be playing. Dad found out about our game not long after we started. And though mum was a little worried that I was being indoctrinated by gun culture, dad just laughed it off. That's just the way she was. Boys will be boys, right? And as long as I was outside getting exercise, they were both happy. I made my grievances known as we got back to the car, knowing that I was just stating the obvious. Dad promised that we would get another two sets suggesting that we should test them out first anyway, in a four player game. He was nice enough to buy them for me in the first place, so I ended up agreeing with him. Two of the boys would just have to sit out our first few games, or maybe act as unarmed scouts or spies. But on the way home, we saw the local goodwill store. Dad and I traded glances, each knowing what the other was thinking. Mom got some of her dresses from the store and Dad would bring home quirky, little handmade things whenever he stopped by, but I never found much of interest there. And I didn't like the feel or idea of secondhand stuff. Despite that, I knew it was worth a look. Maybe they even had another set or two for cheap. It was late by then, near closing time from what I remember, and the checkout lines were filled with shoppers. Many of them mothers with bored kids, their arms full of worn and faded clothing. Just for fun, I checked out the video game selection first, but most of the games were still from the last generation. Since they weren't what I was here for anyway, I hurriedly guided my dad to the back where the used toys were. I always hated the smell there, the one of mildew and dirty diapers, so I didn't want to stay long. We looked around for a bit, But the toy section was so small that much of its space was intruded upon by old VCRs and crappy televisions playing Disney movies on a loop. It became obvious, quickly, that our search would be fruitless. But again, I wasn't too disappointed. I was happy with what I had for now. As we turned to head out and return home, I noticed a black cardboard box hanging out just a little behind an ugly teal shelf, littered with the broken corpses of stuffing-spewing teddy bears. I was going to leave it be, figuring it was a mouldy toy tomb by now. But then I saw the shape of a gun on the box's side. Was this really what I thought it was? I rushed up to it and pulled it out with some effort, as it was snug between the shelf and wall. My reaction upon pulling it out and looking at the cover was unmitigated joy, like it was suddenly Christmas morning. The first thing I saw were two handguns held by a pair of admittedly badass, but typically 80s white kids, holding them upright like they were spies. And the guns didn't need to be overly stylized like the laser challenge ones in any way. They spoke for themselves. The box was solid black except for the photo cutout on the front for the two kids, and a swirling James Bond gun barrel that ended in the white circle behind them Sure, it was closely a knock-off image, but it naturally excited me even further, given that Goldeneye was still my video game goddess at the time, and the guns were depicted accurately, positioned in the youth's hands at an angle to show as much detail as possible. The box's paint was chipped in spots all across it, and the cover was especially faded, but it still looked pretty damn cool. I wonder what lucky kids this must have passed into over the years. Judging by its look, I had to guess that it was quite old. I was right. In the corner, I saw the copyright year of 198. The last digit had been replaced by raw cardboard, where the paint was completely gone. But the age of the product didn't bother me too much. I remember wondering even back then that a set of laser guns from the 1980s must have been quite pioneering. These had to have been expensive once. I opened the box and saw the quality put into the toys. The cover didn't lie. Better yet, there were two pairs of guns, and frontal hit detection vests, held firmly in an oversized styrofoam mold indicative of the past decade's environmental lack of foresight. I pried one of the guns out, It was small, but it had some real weight to it, and the build quality was quite good. It was made of strong, solid black plastic, and had a few metal trimmings, purely for aesthetics, to make it look like a toy. The tip of the barrel where the laser was fired out of was almost made of this metal, and was the trigger and the iron sight. It quickly occurred to me how dangerously real this thing looked. A sharp contrast to the orange and grey laser challenge weapons. If it weren't for the swirling metal bezel around the edges that gave them a more juvenile experience, someone was just asking to get shot by cops waving the things around. By this point, Dad had come over, giving me an impressed, Whoa! What did you find? find? He knelt down to the floor to examine the set for himself, and then noticed something on the gun I was still holding. He pointed it out for me. And I was surprised I hadn't seen it yet. On the back of the iron sights were two green, glowing dots. They didn't blink or waver when seen at different angles like normal LEDs. Furthermore, there was no on or off switch for them, or the gun itself, or battery compartments anywhere. These things were solid, sturdy creations that could have easily been mistaken for real guns, and we couldn't even tell how they were powered. Neither my dad or I knew what to make of the eternal lights, but we did think that they were kind of cool. I would learn much later in life that the lights were made of tritium, a radioactive element used for illumination on some real guns and watches, or other equipment that might, for whatever reason, need a constant but small source of light. Tritium is safe, at least for a radioactive material, but it was still an element that shed its atoms. When I found out about it later in life and researched it, I also learned that it was a key component in nuclear weapons. Had either of us realized such an ominous fact about some of the material used in a damn child's toy, I knew my dad would have never bought it. The vests looked a little more friendly, although the problem was that they only had frontal center boxes, no backpacks like the American units. Their bodies were made of plastic and had a single black circle in the middle, where the incoming laser was detected. Four leather straps were attached to the back of the device, held onto it with old metal buckles, which were another sign of the toy's age. I hadn't seen any toys made of this kind of metal that rusts since I was a little kid. And that's exactly what the buckles were made of. They had withered into ugly brown husks, their metal components grinding against one another and producing iron dust. But they were the only part of the entire set that hadn't aged well, and the rest of it was high quality, if not slightly creepy in that kind of old, strange industrial toy way. Dad noticed that the back of the sensor units were made of a thin layer of solid, flat metal, and there was a noticeable latch. He popped it open fairly effortlessly, and reacted quickly to catch the large battery that dropped out. It looked familiar, like the 6-volt battery used on one of my dad's emergency flashlights. But it was solid blue, no wording at all, and the bulk was distributed differently. It was fatter, wider, than the kind of oversized battery I was used to. Inside the shell, I also noticed a small dial, but I didn't touch it just yet. Dad put the battery back in and closed the hatch. He told me that he had a hunch that this thing wasn't made in America and wanted to see the front cover. I flipped it over and noticed something that I should have had earlier. The words, even the product name, weren't in English. It was a language that I wasn't familiar with, almost alien to me. But Dad, older and wiser, identified it as Arabic. I thought it was strange, since the box art looked so American. I was disappointed again, believing that the laser gun toy from a different country wouldn't work with other sets, and I breathed out an audible sigh. Dad noticed it and quickly cheered me up a little, again. When he pointed out something on the box, it was poorly translated, but it was English. In one corner were the humorous but promising words, Works with many times seeing how much i liked the toy already dad told me to wait a moment he left the store and came back in after a minute one of the laser challenge pistols in his hand he flicked the switch on the foreign set's vest making the black circle light up with a monotone chime a few dozen red leds were behind the clear plastic though a few had burnt out he gave the toy pistol a test fire at point blank aiming straight at the hit zone it worked Much to my delight! The vest fired out a small, digitized buzz, and one-fourth of the lights disappeared. After a second hit, another fourth went dark. Dad looked as if he had figured something out, and opened the hatch again to show me something. The vest had a hit point system, and the dial could control how much damage a single hit could do. By turning it all the way to four. A single shot removed all the quadrant of the health circle. It was a cool feature. But as we always played one-hit kills, I knew I would be keeping it all the way up. It wasn't as if our American sets had the option anyway. The last thing I took note of was that in the middle of the target circle was a slightly bigger red dot, which had a flat head. Unlike the domed tops of the other lights, its color was also a bit darker, as if it was wearing out. But both vests were identical in this regard, so I paid it little mind. And this concludes part one of laser tag. So, like I said, a slow burner. But as you might be feeling, there's more to this story than it first suggests, narratively. And there will be some revealing next episode, that's for sure. I wonder what those old guns will do. It can align itself to any laser tag outfit or receiver. Now that's suspicious especially for being so old? And will it be the obvious fake-turning real and being able to kill anyone they point the gun at? Or will it have some sort of effect on the mind, tricking people into thinking they killed people? I'm not sure, but we're going to find out together, mates. Now, my loveliest of peeps, if you want to support the show, visit my Patreon page to see what I offer. Simply visit www.patreon.com forward slash sfgt and bam you're there and if you have a couple of seconds spare leave an itunes review because your opinion counts and helps other legends like you find me thanks mates okay speaking of loveliest of peeps first up is my old knight t titan maya the living legend that spearheads this podcast into pure awesome thanks to this lovely supporter i'm pushing the limits on my audio quality it's getting to a point where I almost have zero noise, which to me is almost unheard of. I've been asked recently how i reduce my noise levels down to so low, whilst recording in my home environment. I've got computers running, I've got lights on, I've got people talking in the background, believe it or not. (laughs) The way I've done this is I've purchased small but high quality pieces of hardware that mitigate most if not all of it, and that wouldn't be possible without your help, Maya. Thank you. Thank you so much, and we're all the better for it. I own Cows and Lee are you legends that support this show and shape it into what it is. I've recently acquired the Eye Silencer that further reduces noise, and thanks to your lovelies, you're helping produce better quality recordings all around. Thank you both for being awesome. And of course, my brilliant Earl Grey enforcers, Chad Warren. Just Heather, Paige Marcini, Peter Raffelli, Tasha Moncrief, Christina Boyd, Divided by Zero, Dolphin and Cow, Michelangelo Yacone, Tea Time Drinker One, Chris Moller, and Solstra. Thank you all for your ongoing support. Mwah. love you lot. I've been listening to lots and lots of podcasts lately, and have been reaching out to some that not only catch my ear, but genuinely enjoy listening to. And I wanted to share their shows with you to support those people and podcasts that I'm passionate about. So keep an ear out for any that I recommend. And all those that I do, I've listened and confirmed their quality to. I don't put my name or support behind just anything. It's my way of sharing the podcast love, mates. Okay, you lovelies. Stick with me Friday for the continuation of this ongoing tale. And as always, till next, we meet.